What's going down people? So today is the official start of the BFI 63rd London Film Festival. Um, and, you know, as part of the festival, I'm seeing a lot of films. So as we did last year, we're putting out a podcast each night with reviews and thoughts on the films that were seen that day. So today we've got two films. So we've got Clemency and The Personal History of David Copperfield. So sit back, relax and uh, listen. I'll give the information for, um, you know, future viewing. So, you know, when you can see the film again, check the details of the episode. So all of that info is there. We'll put a link to the BFI website and so any like some social media links and all of that. All right. So, um, yeah, here we go, people. Okay, so um, a film I saw today was Clemency. Um, yeah, this is from director Chine Chukwu. Um, she wrote the film as well. Uh, it was produced by Bronwyn Cornelius. Julian Coverley, Peter Wong, and Timir Bekasnov, and it's starring Alfre Woodard, Aldeus Hodge, Richard Schiff, and Wendell Pierce. So the um the breakdown of this film. So um. Chine Chukwu became the first black female fi filmmaker to win the top prize at Sundance Film Festival with this unsentimental death row drama. Clemency opens with experienced prison warden Bernice Williams, who's played by Woodard, overseeing a lethal injection that goes agonizingly wrong. Botching the procedure heightens scrutiny over her next execution of convicted cop killer Anthony Woods, played by Hodge, who maintains his innocence. Woodard delivers a stunning performance as methodical authority figure Bernadine, whose necessary professionalism has made her emotionally unavailable to husband Jonathan, played by Pierce. No amount of after-work drinking will make the nightmare stop, and she's not alone. Her exhaustion is mirrored by Wood's dedicated lawyer, Marty, who's played by Schiff, in his precisely calibrated portrait of capital punishment's ethical corrosion. Um, yeah, this, this was a very hard film to watch. You know, I really, man, I felt so just, man, just uncomfortable. Like, yeah, it was a weird one. I, I just didn't... Man, I just felt off. Just so off, What like, as this film went on. And, you know, you, like, watch... It, it, it's a different uncomfortable to watching films like American History X. Or, um... There's a film coming out soon called Farming. You know, watching films like that... You know, they're tough watches, but this was just, man, there's, there's a, it's a weirdness about watching it. You know, because we know about death row. This is something that's happened, been happening for a long time, you know, and, and we know the situations around it all. We know the arguments, 
just a little unquieting to kind of watch it and and watch it in a way that isn't a film say that's the core message is this is wrong or this is why we do it or do you know what I mean like when you if you watch those sort of films those documentaries that's a completely different thing to watch a film where that isn't the core message where that the real film is about you know the warden who's overseeing that prison who's overseeing the executions I think that's what adds that new nuance to things and um yeah like everyone involved god damn it the performances here are just really good we we, we you know everyone is on superb form like um alfrey woodard um man like it's it's weird so she's definitely kind of trying to separate herself emotionally from what's going on but you can see there's a toll you know what I mean there there is a burden that she has to carry from all of this and she look she understand look I'm doing my job I'm I'm trying to make sure that these people have you know the dignity as much dignity as they can going through this process. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to withhold things from them. I'm going to carry out everything that is is meant to happen and do all these things. But by doing this job, yeah she she's paying a price and you can read that in Woodard's body language her you know the facial expressions her eyes just man yeah she really plays this well um you know like she's having nightmares there's this disconnect with um with a husband, you know, like, and we see that all, and it, it, yeah, it's tough, and Jonathan Williams, bunk, you know, he, like, um, Wendell Pierce does a great job, does a great job, because he has to play, like, the husband so he's playing a guy that's trying to support his wife so trying to support his wife trying to trying to kind of save her because he sees the toll you know so he's trying to do that but he's finding it difficult you know what I mean? He's finding it difficult because, yeah, because she's having to do separate herself in a certain way. Like he, he, there's not the emotion that was in the marriage at the beginning, so he's finding it difficult. He's trying to bring it back, but it's it's a struggle, and we see that. And yeah, Pierce does a, a tremendous job. Showing us all of this. Then you've got um, Aldous Hodge as Anthony Woods. Man, so this is a, this is definitely a tough role because yo know, Woods doesn't say a lot. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say he's got reeves to say throughout the film, but. Hodge does a real good job at showing all the emotions, all the emotions that Wood is feeling. 
So we're seeing the shock, the fear, the the kind of disillusion of like what's happening to me and like like you know right you're giving me hope i've got hope now i'm i've got this i've got so we're on this roller coaster ride and hodge is giving us all the emotions just everything and man it's tough because sometimes it's just a look or it's you know, the, the, the way he's holding his shoulders. You know, it's just these little things that we're seeing. And, and yeah, Hodge does it all. It, it's tremendous. It's so good. Richard Schiff. You know what I mean? Richard Schiff. It, it's just like... Uh, uh, for, you know, he doesn't look like Toby Ziegler anymore. You know what I mean? He's a lot older. But, yo, it, it, it's the voice. It's like some of those mannerisms. And, yeah, he does a great job as Marty. Um, Marty Lumetta, who is um, the lawyer trying to fight for Anthony's, um, you know, clemency. And, um, yeah, it, it's... Look... Every, as I said, everyone does a tremendous job here. It, it, you know, because we, we're seeing all of it. We're running this gauntlet. This is what this film is. It's uncomfortable, but we're, we're seeing, you know, as, as, as it said in the, um, the breakdown, look, it starts off with this kind of botched execution. You know, so everyone's affected by that but we're seeing how you know what I mean that affects people how it then affects the woods case and like the different things that will come up you know what I mean during the build up to an execution and all of this so yeah, this is what the film's showing us, you know, the drinking at the bar, you know, you're trying to make yourself forget the nightmares, the fear, the, I'm just doing my job, you know, like, all of that is, is on offer, and look, this is a bleak-ass film, you know, this is not, ain't, this ain't no happy film but it's it, it it's got that realism for you and i think that's it's an important thing you know because like too many times do we kind of sometimes we we watch these things and they throw in these these endings these cloying kind of you know what i mean situations this this sacring script that's just like come on people i don't believe that shit all right what are you what are you trying to tell us here but this that's not this you know what i mean that that's not this film and you've got to commend everyone involved that they decided to play it like this that you know they they didn't try and water anything down and they didn't try and kind of force you with this certain narrative they just kind of showed it like you know i think it's the the, the kind of perspective of just someone coming in and assessing a situation so there's no sides we're just seeing it all all the waltz everything and um yeah i think i think this is a, a real good um a real good film from um yeah chunkway 
know, she she's done a um a very good job. You know, her first feature. It's um, yeah, yeah, it's great. Right, it's gonna be a tough one, people. But um, yeah, go check it. I would say check it out. And um, okay, so you will be able to um. You know, you will be able to see it on Friday, the 4th of October. It's playing at 3 o'clock at the Odeon Tottenham Court Road. Um, and then on Friday, the 11th of October at 8.30. And it's showing at the ICA Cinema. So, um, that's the Institute of Contemporary Art. So, yeah, you you can see it there. So, yes, on the 4th, it's 3 p.m. And on the 11th, it's 8.30. So, there. They're your um, next opportunities to check out this, this film. It is 18 people. So, um, yes. You know. It's an 18 film. So if you look young and you want to see it, bring your ID. Okay? Alright, there you go. Okay, so that was Clemency. So now we're going to get into um, the personal history of David Copperfield. Um, Hmm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to... um, Play a Q&A. Yeah, we're going to start off with the Q&A. And then we're going to get into the review. Now, the Q&A started really quickly. So, the, I think, the, I believe we're just getting into the first question, right? So, it was just, um, you know, what? why did you make this film? I, I believe that was the first question. And he has just literally started to answer as I pressed play. So uh, here we go. Uh, and his, um, you know, his, he 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 wants to entertain. He wants to be popular, but he wants to tackle the big stage, you know, big themes like poverty and government and and all that. But he but he also retains that sort of humanity. He wants to see how the individual got about. So there was that. Um, this film in particular, I wanted to make when I reread David Copperfield about ten or so years ago, and it just felt so cinematic and and yet and and funny and experimental. It felt very modern. Uh, you know, the opens the opening chapter is David just being born and just it's all written in words of like one syllable as he tries to make sense of shapes and colours and sounds and language, and then it gets more complicated. And then it's about this person growing up with, let's face it, status anxiety. Uh, just wondering if he fits in and his background and, and is he making the right friends? Is he? So that, it all felt very, very modern. And also it's really funny. That, there's scenes in the book that I've never seen in any adaptation of, you know, when he falls in love with Dora, he sees the word Dora everywhere he goes. Or when he's drunk, it's, um, it's described like, you know, he shouts, I've got mad hair and, and I've got drunken hair. And, and Dick has described all of London sort of swirling around. It's like the, that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street where they're, so I felt cinematic. I felt I haven't. I, I want to kind of express this. On, and this is the film I want to make because it also speaks on on these sort of contemporary issues as well. Um, and I just want to get that life and that humour and, and approach it maybe as if there were no rules as to how you made like a costume drama because I wanted it to feel that the audience feel that the people they're watching up there are in their present day. This is their modern world. Was, this is a question for both of you. Was the casting part of that process of creating and modeling David Copperfield? Uh, well, we only ever had one candidate for David, which is Jessica That's Bell. right, yeah. But once he's your only candidate for David Copperfield, then <laughs> certain things flow. But, but over and above that, I think, you know, London was the center of the world, really, in Victorian times. And it started the Industrial yeah. Revolution as yeah. well. So it's like you know, Manhattan in the 1920s or something. 
And we felt London then and London now were both global cities. And you know, we wanted to make it feel like the London the audience would recognize as well as the characters would recognize, because I think there's a lot of similarities. Yes, I had no plan B. I mean, Dev was instantly the person I thought of. I just thought he's David Copperfield. And, I, and I'm so glad he said yes. Was he the first cast member you booked? That's right, yeah. yes. I had spoken to uh, Peter Capaldi while we were um, finishing something else up and said, you know, if I make David Copperfield, I'd like you to be Mr. McCullough. And he said, I'd love to. Um, again, you know, traditionally we, we have this idea of Mr. McCullough being this roly-poly, rather cheerful. But in the book, he's this melancholic, you know, as soon as he's... Yeah, he, and he talks about wanting to cut himself, and stuff. you know, it's 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 kind of um, it's kind of upsetting. Dev, um, you talk about the seeing the comedy in the writing, and that's so you brought that to screen so beautifully. Dev, we know more as a dramatic actor. How did you know he could pull off a comedy? Well, in fact, I, I always, you know, from um, Skins onwards, I, I'd always knew that he could do the comedy. I'd seen him do the comedy. In fact, it was watching him do in Lion that I thought, but also he's got that strength and that um, focus and steeliness and charisma because, um, and he has to go through the whole range. He's in every scene. He's in every scene, apart from, you know, 15 minutes with when Jay is playing young David. Uh, and, and so he has to go through that. And, uh, and then it was just fun pushing away at what, uh, what kind of going from like slapstick to physical to visual to kind of emotional to still to um, strong to vulnerable. It, it, it was all about that. And uh, um, yes, it, it, so seeing him in line sort of completed that. I, it was as soon as I saw him in line, I, I kind of more or less pointed and said, that's David Copperfield. Let's open for questions from the audience. And it's quite dark, so if we've got mics, you can just go one more there. Yeah, uh, hi, right. okay. So you're known for making really like hilarious but cynical stuff. So what changed to make you want to do something that's so like delightful as this? Oh, you've seen outside. You've seen, you've, you've been outside. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't a conscious, you know, I, I mean, I, personally, I'm an optimist and I'm not swearing and I don't uh, kill people. Um, uh, I have other people do that for me. Uh, no, um, so, you know, it, it, I can see, I can see externally why, you know, after stuff like Thick of It and, you know, Desert Star, people might have a different view of it. But I, I kind of, if there, is a, if there is a reason, and I'm not saying this is the kind of conscious reason, I kind of didn't want to make something that, there's so much, this, I want to make something positive. I, what I liked about the, the, this, the, the book and, and what I wanted to get in the film was something that was, First of all, I wanted to do like a film for all generations, really, so that, that, that any, you know, children, the elderly, uh, anyone in between can get something from it, because it is about a life lived, and, and we, we've noticed that feedback from people coming to, to screening, saying that, you know, they, they all kind of talked about it as a family. Um, I wanted to do that, I just, and because there is so much a, of a debate at the moment about what Britain is and, and what Britain is not, and, and how, it, you know, how it's excluding and how it's, isolating itself, I wanted to celebrate what I feel Britain is, which is something much more lively and vibrant and, and cheery. And, you know, it, the comedy heritage that, that Britain has, the, the literary heritage, the variety, the arts, the culture, you know, it, everything about it. And, and also, personally, I just wanted to do something that was about friendship and about community without losing sight of the, um, like, the, sort of the darker or the, the harder issues that, that, that Dickens never shines away from, like the homelessness and so on. Questions? Do we have another one? Another one here? Yeah, uh, yeah me. Uh, hello. hello there. Hi, you. You uh, mentioned quite rightly that uh, Copperfield is very cinematic, but Dickens is generally. Why do you think that is? What are the concepts and what are the ways Dickens writes that make it so continually brilliant for the cinema. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the thing that when I was rereading re the book, the moment I thought, oh, I want to make this, is early on, there's a scene where David arrives at Aunt Betsy's house and flops onto the sofa and looks out the window and, and sees Aunt Betsy in the distance hitting uh, the, the donkey rider on the head. 
And it's described, like, from David's perspective, indoors, watching this kind of, like, silent movie. And, I, and, and as, as when that happened, I thought, yeah, I can see this. I know how to do it. Um, I, I don't know what it is. He's very... It may be due to the fact that he, you know, he was in the habit of writing his stories on a sort of weekly and a monthly basis, so he was always having to keep the, the plot um, bubbling. Um, but also, I think he's, he wasn't... Um, he wasn't embarrassed or felt awkward in the fact that he principally wanted to do an entertainment, to provide entertainment for, for a mass public. So therefore, and he, then he had this innate, instinctive sense of comedy. And comedy is terribly, you know, it's very verbal, but it's also visual, you know. And, and it's funny, it's when comedy writers are on set, they kind of, they know visually where the camera should point because they know what the funny shot is going to be. And, it may be that his innate sense of comedy um, uh, was what sort of propelled him to be able to write his comic set pieces in a sort of visual visual manner. We talked quite early on, didn't we, about the um, the sequence where he goes back to the boathouse as a grown-up with different, it all appears to him the second time round. Yeah. Colours are more muted, it seems much smaller. I mean, those are very cinematic ideas about how memories work. That's right, yes. And, and I'd never actually seen that described in literature before, that thing of like how your your memory of childhood slightly plays tricks on you. You sort of over-romanticized yeah. it. As you Everything seemed very big to me. That's right, yeah. Uh, the other interesting thing, just talking about the modernity of it, is you know, Mr. Dick, played by Hugh Laurie, is the first real depiction in English literature of, of mental illness that, that dealt with openly rather than as a kind of joke. You know, there's a sort of sadness to the portrayal of Mr. Dick that we wanted to capture there. So thank you, Doug. Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay. How do you manage to um, balance caricatures with the tragic elements? Because comedy seems to be conflated with the, the um, tragedy. Um, uh, did you see comedy's conflicted or? Um, conflated. Conflated. Well, I mean, it's always, you know, this was an exercise we had to perform in the death of Stalin, where Hitler's scene was both tragic and comedy at the same time. And that's the, the thing I also admire about Dickens' approach is that he does that. He, he's, he, he gives you the comic set piece, and then he'll give you a dramatic moment straight away, where, uh, which doesn't, uh, where the comedy doesn't undermine the drama, but, it, but sort, of, sort of leads you slightly down one alley, so you're then blindsided by the, by, by the thing. Um, how do we do it? I don't know. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time in the script. We, we also spend a lot of time getting the cast in early and rehearsing for like two weeks in a uh, church hall, uh, really talking about the characters and getting them to play off against each other so that the characterization is three-dimensional, that they, 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 you know, they, they, they arrive on the first day of filming already knowing what this character's background is, what their feelings are, what their thoughts are for the other characters. So that hopefully, you know, when there are the comic set pieces, you're seeing these as, as, as moments that are happening to real individuals rather than sort of comic types, I suppose. Oh, yeah, hi. Hi. Um, going back earlier to the uh, question before about, um, you know, change of pace and that there, and stretching yourself and cinematic stuff like that. Um, do you, like, I, I noticed a lot that your direction here is very, more stylized, more um, like fantastical, not that than in you know prior work on in the loop, um, death of Stalin, TV work, and that there. Was there a conscious effort to try and branch out into more um, fantastical, like stylized ways? Not that you like the different uh, interjections of plays, walking through sets, and stuff like that, which kind of remind me a bit of um, Paul King's and you know, his work on the Paddington movies there um, as well. Was there a conscious decision to try and stretch the talents and the other? Well, it was, I mean. With every project you do, I feel you learn something. And I, you know, in, in doing something like Beat, I learned how to work on a sort of big stage with productions, or which was different from the trick of it, which was very much two cameras and a set of small offices. Um, with Death of Stalin, I suppose you learn about working with a period, trying to make periods feel real and authentic. Um, with this, I, I was very conscious of the fact that, you know, David is telling a story. He's telling a story of his own life, but he's also telling 
a story about other people that, that he's kind of he's kind of trying to um, it's in the writing of it that he's sort of working out who he is. So that element of kind of both the real things that are happening to him, but also using artifice to uh, to kind of lay it out, I think was something I wanted to try and carry. So I thought every now and then, if one is reminded occasionally that, that this is the telling of a story, um, but not so much that you don't feel, that you, you don't feel detached from the people in the story. Is an element of that. I also kind of wanted, going back to trying to keep it real and authentically as important, I kind of wanted to avoid the CGI um, special effects thing because I just felt it would look out of place. Um, yeah. We, we talked a lot about trying to have more traditional cinematic and techniques, old techniques for these. Yeah, like we basic backdrops that for some of the transitions, which are all to do with the fluidity of the storytelling that, that Amanda and Simon have. But it's also, you know, using those old techniques allows you to keep the thing very much grounded in a, in a kind of cinematic narrative. Yeah, I mean, we even used at one point Pepper's Ghost, which is the yeah. thing they used in Victoria's Secret, of like ghosts that appear on stage. Yeah, it's just a mirror. There's a stiff also in the mirror in the writing sequence. I mean, that's, that's not put in, in post. Yes, so the actors are actually around the corner, yeah. so they can actually, if they want, have a serious conversation going um, and, and try to have you know, when a scene transitions into the next scene, actually have the elements of the first scene physically at the location for the next scene, so they can, they can just walk into it. I just wanted to, you know, rein in the kind of, the, 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 the default of doing, you know, special effects. We've got time, we've got time for a couple more. Uh, hello. Um, hello. Oh, I'm here. Hi. Over here. Right at the back. Right at the back. Oh, there we are, thank you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, could you tell us a little bit about the, how you went about the adaptation and, and the screenplay and, and how you kind of chose what to include and, and what to take out and, and what your kind of objectives were for it, I guess? Um, well, I mean, two initial thoughts I had before anything happened was, A, I, didn't, I wanted to make something that you didn't have to any, have any notion of who Dickens was or any notion of the, the novel David Copperfield in the first place. There was that, and then B, I wanted to capture the essence of the book that excited me. Uh, and to me, the essence of it is not so much, you know, the the, the the plot as the kind of the emotional journey, but also the language, the humour, the uh, the imagery, the playfulness of it, and that whole thing in modernity, the kind of uh, the, the idea of a writer writing and then rewriting his or her own life to kind of make it fit some idea that they're describing, all, all those things, I, I wanted to keep that. And, and, and after that, it became quite, and then, and then the next thing we did was Simon went away and actually did a draft consisting entirely of Dickens' dialogue, um, which, was, which was great to read, but it, it, it then made you realize, you know, what, what were the strong elements and, and what were the elements we had to kind of remove because we were too much concerned with, you know, trying to summarize a 900-page novel. And, and, and I didn't want to do that. What I wanted to do was make a film that had a kind of beginning, middle, and end, and have a, a, a through line to it. And so we started taking some of the elements that we missed as we were cutting, we started to take elements of them to give to some of the main characters that Mr. Talbot. So in the book, it's a different teacher who plays a flute that's a terrible, makes a terrible noise, and fearful gets, gets that teacher dismissed for being poor. Children steal up, um, and we thought that would be a perfect element to uh, to give to Mr. Talbot because there's also controversy with if you go to to the Tarvey and, and uh, you get Mr. Fish and Mr. Laurie, but you, you want to keep these characters present throughout. So it was about that. It was about not feeling so reverential about the book that you couldn't change anything, while at the same time being very committed to trying to capture the the, the, the essence, the creative essence. Good morning. Hello. Oh yes, hello. Uh, as a director, what is your biggest challenge? <laughs> um, ah, <laughs> this question. Um, uh, I think 
it's, I mean, it's different from television where you have a sort of an open-ended thing. With film, it's, it's a different part of your brain. It's about keeping the whole thing constantly in your head at any one time. I mean, it, it, it was a complex shoot, as you can imagine, because no possibility really although we did start filming the beginning at the beginning of the shoot but the yeah. rest of it was very much geographically yeah. driven because of all the places we had to go and um, so I think that's right you know I, that's always the thing I marvel at the directors and actors to some mm. extent that you you know you're shooting these scenes meticulously out of sequence hence the rehearsal period but it really is up to the director the, rehearsal, the, actor. the actors say that the rehearsal is great stuff because it, it gives them a chance to, to do the whole story in the right order but also to see each other's story in the right order as well, so that when they come in to the shoot a scene, and it might be out of sequence, they'll know roughly where everyone else is in, in their story, and therefore in their kind of emotional, emotional mood. Um, but it's about that, it's about keeping that sense of shape, I think. So, so it's very easy to get caught up in the moment when you're shooting. Well, every day seems like a small mountain to climb, doesn't <laughs> it, when you're shooting, so you have to be able to look you might shoot a scene and it's really, really very big and energetic, but you realise actually it's just coming out of a scene that's very, might be much more still. And you know, so are you? Is it? Is the? Is the? Is the? Is the link going to work, or or should you just tone this down? Well, we're here shooting. Should we ask them to do a kind of slightly quieter version so that the transition won't start? It's things like that. It's just holding the rhythm and shape of it in your head all the time, which is always uh, hard, but I think is kind of really, it's the thing I kind of enjoy really, is that it's trying to, trying to keep the musicality of it at all times in your head. I think we've got time for one more thing. Right there on the right. Oh, hello, hi. Hello? Hello. Sorry. <laughs> hello. Right. Um, Where are you? Um, oh, I'm over here, but the lady over in the corner had her hand up everyone else. I'm, I'm That's very polite. We get both of you. Go, go for it. See, if only Brexit could be resolved this way. It'd be a lot easier. People were just nice to each other. <laughs> so we'll start here and then we'll come back to your question. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I don't see very well, but I'm over here. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Okay. No, you're all right. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, thanks. Quite a simple question. I noticed that um, Shelter was mm. given a thank you credit. Um, I was just wondering what their role was in the film. Oh, it was a number of things. I, I, I spoke to them. I, I, I want, we, you know, we looked at um, housing conditions in the 1840s, and Dickens actually described, you know, where they found Nancy, he, he described it as a building that a landlord had bought and then subdivided so much that people were living in tiny little spaces. Um, and I, I spoke to Shelter about how that related conditions now uh, and, and I mean the shocking thing was to, you know the, 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 the status of landlords hasn't changed in the UK you know they have many many more rights and powers than uh, and less oversight than they have in the European mainland and so on so tenants can be you know they, it, it's such a precarious position but also the housing condition we, we wanted to it's that thing I was talking about about although we set it in 1840 I want it to touch on uh, this sense of it happening in front of us now, and, and so when we show David being homeless as well as uh, as, as well as um, the tenants, um, the the um, you know I, I I wanted the I, I wanted it to feel real, not just as to the conditions of 1840, but but also for now as well. Right. Okay. More time. Okay. Well, thank you, guys. Oh, oh, good. Thank you thank very much. You, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay, so um, I've just seen the new film by Amando Inanucci, uh, which was the personal history of David Copperfield. So, yes, it's directed by Amando Inanucci. He also produced it with Kevin Loder. Um, the screenplay is by Inamuchi and Simon Blackwell. Um, of course, it's based on the Charles Dickens book, David Copperfield. And it is starring uh, Dev Patel. He's playing um, 
David Copperfield and um, uh, Jarig Vas Varasani is playing a younger David Copperfield. Tilda Swinton is Betsy Trotwood. Hugh Laurie is Mr. Dick. Peter Capaldi is Mr. Maccabee. Um, ben Whishaw is Uriah Heep. Paul Whitehouse, Mr. Peggotty. Um, Anarin Bernard is James Steerforth. Daisy May Cooper is Peggotty. Morfield Clark is Dora Spenlow. Benedict Wong is Mr. Wickfield. Geraldine Christie is Jane Murdstone. Anthony Welsh is Ham Peggotty. Rosaline Elysia is Agnes Wigfield. Amy Kelly is Emily. Um, Nikki Amuka Bird is Miss Steerforth. Then we've got um, Bore Gallagher as Mrs. Mikawaba. Um, Matthew Cotley is Mr. Spenlow. It is a very good cast. You know, it, it's, a, it's a really good cast. And the film just is this. So, adapting one of Charles Dickens' most beloved characters, Inamuchi and regular co-writer Stephen Simon Blackwell create a Victorian set epic that never, nevertheless feels very modern, fresh and quite frankly hilarious. Following Copperfield from early youth through to middle age, the story traces his social awakening, charting huge personal ups and downs as he witnesses the best and worst of humanity. Dickens' favourite child amongst his works. The plot also tackles social injustice in many forms, a lack of protection for children, poor industry industrial conditions for the working class and wealth inequality so who better to tackle this tale than Inamuchi the genius behind the thick of it in the loop the veep and the death of Stalin his work has peeled back the hypocrisy of the ruling and political class with such unfettered enthusiasm and biting comic acuity Beyond a superb script, Inamuchi's choice of lead is inspired. Having revealed his ability to convey a bottomless wealth of emotion in Lion, Deb Patel shows his lightning sharp comic timing as Copperfield, as well as a wicked gift of mic mimicry, is abetted by a stunning cast, embarrassingly full of riches, with meaty comic roles for Tilda Swinton as Betsy Trotwood, Hugh Laurie as Mr. Dick, Peter Capaldi as the impossibly sunny Mr. Mikawaba, and Ben Wilshaw as the gloriously creepy Uriah Heep. Humorous, busy, bustling and bursting with colour and energy. This is a Dickens reworking unlike any you've seen on the screen and um i would say this is a, a very fun film you know it is it, it's, it's got this um it's got this kind of vibe running through it you know the, the, this kind of happy vibrant air uh which which is is nice um now we start the film like it it's set up in an interesting way so we have copperfield giving a talk you know giving a reading in an auditorium and then we jump into like his birth so we have him being born, which is interesting. And 
the film uses these nice little tricks of um like these kind of flashback kind of um visions when copperfield is writing which is just a nice little touch it kind of adds something because you know as he's writing he's he's kind of having these recollections so seeing these different image images and and such really really work uh <clears throat> pardon me people um so yeah no it, it's a really interesting film with a lot of topics that kind of fit in with today you know um that so it works in in that regard like and with the playful nature and the way it kind of uses tone to convey like maybe the same scene the same place but give it that happy or foreboding vibe so it, you know it does a really good job with this kind of stuff the acting is exceptional you know I, I i think tilda swinton hugh laurie peter capaldi they are all phenomenal you know they they all do a really good job but then we have people like um benedict wand who is great rosalind eliza um Morfield Clark, like Daisy May Cooper, Ben Whishaw, all incredible performances. They they really are. But I, I think they just they help bring this story to life, which is extremely refreshing. You know, I would say though. <clears throat> There are points when, like, Capaldi's character is a little over the top. And where this film is humorous, there are definitely times when the humour does seem a bit too shoehorned, a bit too forced. You know, it, it's not always, uh, like, a natural flow which is, you know, it is a bit of a shame at times, you know, because it, it does kind of interfere, it's like a laugh track, you know what I mean, how that can kind of just frustrate you, so I think when humour is forced into something, you can be like, ah, just, just be natural, just let it go, don't, like, don't do this, like, there's a scene with, um, you know, Copperfield keep on banging his head, and it's just like, ah, look, we we understand, we get it, but you there's there's no need to do this constantly, because what was firstly amusing, it's now just getting a bit much. So there's that, and I I do feel that Deb Patel, although like he's not terrible. But he is a little one note when you compare him to everyone else in this. You know, we have some fantastic performances, but he just seems to be, a, a, you know, just one pace. Which is, like, I mean, it the, like, the film does work. And, I like, he doesn't spoil the film. It's nothing like that. Don't get me wrong. But it's just when you have so many amazing performances, it, it's just a bit of a shame, you know? Uh, like, the film, it, I don't know. It, it, it's a bit, like, it does run well. You know, it is enjoyable. But I would say, so it's 120 minutes, so two hours, but I think you do notice the length, which is funny, because two hours isn't really that long in today's 
you know, in today's environment, when with films and such, but you do kind of think mm, it does drag a, a little bit. I wouldn't say loads, but there is a, a point where you do check the time. I would say, um, but you know, apart from those things. I would say, yeah, this isn't a bad film. It's not a bad film at all. Um, <clears throat> and I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think fans of Shakespeare, fans of um, David Copperfield as a book, I think they will enjoy this. You know, there, there's it, it's pretty true to the core material. There are a few little changes a few little additions, um, you know, obviously, this is a multicultural cast, which is, yeah, definitely different from the book, right, um, yeah, you know, I'm all for diversity, obviously, and all for that, like, yeah, you know, it's interesting, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it, it takes away from the story or anything like that, it's just, it's just a different, it's a different look, you know what I mean, so it's, it's just a different feel, and we've had so many different adaptations, it, you know, yeah, we can roll this dice, because if you don't like this one, there's all the other versions that you can check out, but if you do want to see this, you can, people, because it is showing tomorrow, Thursday, the 3rd of October, at 20 past 2, at the Embankment Garden Cinema, that is just by Embankment Tube and Charing Cross Station. It's also showing on Saturday, the 5th of October, at 12.30, at the Empire Haymarket. So, um, yeah. There you go. You can get your fill of Dickens and um yeah, Emando Inamuchi on this retelling of um David Copperfield. So um check it out if uh this sounds like it is a film for you. Okay, people, so that's it. That was it for today. Had um, two films. And, um, yeah, we're going to be back tomorrow. Man, it's going to be another crazy-ass schedule. But, hey, <laughs> what, what are you going to do, right? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have... Um, I can't remember how many films tomorrow, but there's probably at least two. Actually, I think there might be four. Uh, But yeah, check out the podcast tomorrow for some more London Film Festival fun. Now, remember, check the episode notes for all relevant links, okay? All right, people, have a good one. Peace.